You're locked on the Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLocal and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you like this episode and want to be tuned in to the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Spotify, Google, Megaphone, Apple, and the Odyssey app. Doing so is free, greatly appreciated, and ensures you never miss another episode. Tonight's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com today and tell them Locked On sent you. On tonight's episode, I wanted to talk about a couple of things. The first order of business, we'll be talking about some of the NHL trades and transactions that have occurred over the last 48 hours or so. We'll also talk about Winnipeg's game against the Montreal Canadiens, which is upcoming in about an hour or so. Let us first discuss one of the smaller moves, which is the Vancouver Canucks re-signing Tanner Pearson for three years by around $3.25 million. From Vancouver's perspective, I don't really understand this move just because I feel like Pearson is one of those guys that, on a contender, is a legitimately decent depth option, but I'm not really sure if I would want to be locking him up for like three years unless there was some specific reason that you wanted to do this for like, I guess, expansion draft stuff or something. I'm not really sure. I think Pearson is a quality second or third line winger, but I don't really see him as somebody that I would be trying to, you know, extend long term, especially with the kind of cap situation that all teams are going to be facing, and more specifically, Vancouver is currently staring down. This deal just doesn't really seem like a great contract in general, just because I feel like Vancouver doesn't really need Pearson's, you know, money on the books. His level of play doesn't really, to me, seem like somebody that I'd want to be paying more than like two and a half million or maybe even less than that. This contract just doesn't really seem ideal, and I don't understand why Vancouver felt the need to do it now rather than later. You know, this is not exactly a guy that teams are really clamoring for, generally speaking. Either way, the Canucks are going to do the Canucks, so more power to them. I guess that that's a thing that Jim Benning does. I would have to say that Vancouver's cap situation and their their roster situation, it just doesn't really look like anything I'd want to be a part of. They'll have plenty of contracts to sort through over the next couple of seasons as some of their ELCs start to expire and they need new deals for some of their really young superstars. But that's Jim Benning's problem, not mine. The bigger move today that occurred, and I, I say bigger just because it's it's all relative, right? But there, there were two trades that occurred, and the first one was probably the so-called, I guess, big tamale of the day, and that was sending Travis Ajak and Kyle Palmieri to the New York Islanders in exchange for A.J. Greer, Mason Jobst, a 2021 first-round pick, and a 2022 conditional fourth-rounder. The condition just basically means if the Islanders somehow, I think, either reach the cup finals or win the cup, they get like a third-round pick instead. Not really anything that matters. Even more intriguing is that New Jersey retained 50% salary on these deals, and what's kind of troubling to me is that when you look at the pricing of this of this trade, and specifically how good Palmieri is, he's one of the best left wings and really one of the best forwards that was going to be available at the deadline, I don't think New Jersey did all that well here. In fact, I feel like the Islanders kind of robbed them. You know, you, you send a couple of guys who are basically non-NHLers, maybe fourth liners at most, in, in Jobston and Greer. Greer, I think, has the more recent NHL experience. And let's be honest, he isn't really somebody that I'd be trading for. 
So what you're exchanging instead is a couple of picks in exchange for your best rental player in Palmieri and really one of your best forwards. And then Travis Ajak, who is a roster player, does kind of fill a, a center need for the Isles. I wouldn't say that it's their most pressing need, but certainly something that they can use on their fourth line. And they even did the Islanders a solid by retaining half of the remaining salary, which for me, I just, I'm not really a big fan of this whole thing. I feel like this deal just wasn't all that great. So this sort of deal, you can't really say is going to set the market, but already we've seen a couple of cheap trades. The next trade we're going to talk about is actually fairly low rent as well. And what I think you're seeing is that a lot of teams, they just aren't willing to spend all that much. I really wonder if the COVID situation with teams really struggling revenue-wise and the fact that, you know, Seattle's is on the horizon. Um, they've also got situations with guys who need to be quarantined for a week and the shortened season schedule maybe makes some of these rentals a little cheaper than normal. Someone on Twitter made a great point that rentals might actually be the more expensive options just because they're not really tied down to your roster. They're only here for a brief run, and right now, because of the Seattle expansion looming, they're not really going to count on your roster situation once you have to start choosing guys to protect. Which makes the return for Palmieri all that more puzzling. If you didn't really get that much, then it sort of implies that maybe the trade market isn't that great. I saw an article somewhere suggesting that in fact, the phones aren't that busy, relatively speaking, but, you know, I, I do think that this would be a very good time for teams like Winnipeg to try and look at really good budget rental options. If, in fact, the market is kind of down and the Jets are still interested in making a move, then maybe start to get aggressive. Taylor Hall is out there, you know, Mike Riley's out there, David Savard, who I'm not really interested in, is technically out there. Matias Ekholm, again, not super interested in it, but if the Palmieri return wasn't great, maybe some of these other guys are actually going to be cheaper, too. Ekholm, I don't think, is going to be much cheaper because he's definitely there for another season, so he's got that little bit of term, and he's, you know, one of the best defenders on the market that's going to be available. So I don't anticipate him going down in price, but some of these other rentals, maybe not as expensive as I thought. The only other trade of note was Lucas Walmark and Lucas Carlson being traded to the Florida Panthers in exchange for Brett Connolly, Henrik Borgstrom, Riley Stillman, and a 2021 seventh-round pick. Some folks were like, oh, Henrik Borgstrom, you know, that's a good deal for, for Chicago. But I think, to be honest, it doesn't really move the needle. In this case, you're basically exchanging guys who are like AHL tweeners and maybe some bottom six prospects for, I don't know, some reason. There's always a chance Borgstrom develops into something special down the road, but I think those those days are probably long gone. He's 23, his production overseas is modest, and I feel like he was probably overhyped a bit. I think his skill set's fine. I just don't think he's going to be more than like a third or a fourth line center. As far as the Panthers are concerned, they cleared off some salary to start making moves. Maybe they're trying to look for an Ekholm in terms of trying to replace Aaron Ekblad while he's still injured, but this trade doesn't really move the needle in terms of actual roster players. So what it looks like is Panthers just want to clear off cap space and maybe get some guys who can play on their fourth line in exchange. Those were the only really exciting moves of the day. I don't think there was anything else of note, but I'm sure we'll start to see more trade deadline moves as we get nearer to the date itself. I'll be sure to keep you up to date on those at all times and give you some thoughts on Twitter at HLLivingLoco at times when I, I start to see these deals coming through. But for now, that'll wrap up our deadline coverage. Up next, we're going to take a look at some of the stuff that happens between Montreal and Winnipeg in tonight's game. Before then, though, I thought you should know a little bit about why BetOnline.ag needs to be your one-stop shop for all your online betting needs. When it comes to the wild, wild west of online betting, it's hard to know who you can trust and which sites are reliable. That's why you should look no further than BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, NHL, international soccer, and so many other huge sports are all in full swing. 
Not a big sports fan? No problem. BetOnline has your back because they even cover awards, TV shows, and reality TV, featuring real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Whether you want to bet on the next Stanley Cup champion or who you think is getting voted off your favorite reality TV show next, BetOnline also has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds you need to make the most informed bets every single time. It's the best place to do your betting, and it's free to sign up. Go on over to betonline.ag on your desktop or use your mobile device to register, and when you create a free account, be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Stop sitting on the sidelines and get in on the action today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. After talking about some of the news and trade transactions around the NHL, now it's time to focus on Winnipeg versus Montreal. And what a strange game this was indeed. Before I go any further and give you a recap of what exactly occurred, I did want to tell you about why Locked On Today needs to be in your daily podcast rotation. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Burkowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your favorite shows. And now on to an unusual game against Montreal that really felt like... I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. The first period was very fast-paced, and I felt like the Jets were um, up to the task, I guess. Less than 30 seconds in, Josh Morrissey ended up scoring after Matthew Perot led a really great rush inside the offensive zone and found Morrissey cutting into the central slot area, which that's where Morrissey used to be known for scoring from. Forget this crappy point shot business that Morrissey has been trying to force on every single power play, and, and frankly at even strength too. No one's really afraid of Morrissey's distance shots because it's just not that strong of a slap shot or a release. So when he dives back into the low slot area or between the faceoff circles, that's where Josh is going to make his money. Even if he can't defend, he can at least contribute offensively if you allow him to jump into the play like that. And this is a really great example of what happens when you let your blue liners become very aggressive inside the offensive zone. It will occasionally bite you on counters. It's going to happen. But to be honest, I think Winnipeg stands to reap so much more from this method and tactic rather than just letting them sit at the blue line and really be useless. Let's be honest, we all know the Jets defenders don't really defend inside their own end of the ice, so you would rather exchange offensive opportunities if you can and look to maybe try and mask some of your defensive deficiencies if you just apply tons of pressure up the ice. Of course, with the Jets, things aren't always very clean, and not too long after that, really less than a minute and a half later, Philip Deneau took advantage of a bit of a busted sequence in front of the net. Logan Stanley got caught chasing the puck carrier for some reason. He was completely out of position. Deneau had a completely wide-open right flank along the right face-off circle to shoot and did not miss, tying it 1-1. I was kind of like, oh, oh, you know, this is how it's going to be, right? Uh, And I was expecting sort of a high-scoring game. What ended up happening was that the Jets were sort of creating pretty good looks off the rush, but they weren't creating a high volume of them, if that makes sense. Montreal was the one definitely driving the shot clock, but for the most part, I really didn't feel like they were actually creating anything dangerous, especially at even strength. The Habs kept going for like a lot of point shots and and low danger opportunities, which, look, they will find their way into the net, especially with this team. The Jets do occasionally turn low danger chances into really high danger scramble fests, but this wasn't one of those times. A spot of relief came towards the middle of the period when Neil Pionk led a really great counter the other way and found Trevor Lewis with an absolutely brilliant pass right across what was almost like a soccer cross from Pionk's stick right onto Trevor Lewis's, and Lewis just sort of tipped it past Jake Allen. This is a brilliant, brilliant feed, and something that I think actually deserves a fair amount of credit. The breakout pass from forward to set Pionk up for this opportunity also was very good. He, I think, caught him through the neutral zone, which is a really nice cross-seam feed. 
had to gun it across a pretty fair distance too because it was a, a long stretch pass. So very nice sequence for Morton Pionk. Very good on this one. Nice distribution. Great work from Lewis to beat the man back and get inside positioning to score that opportunity. And the Jets are up 2-1. And then a few minutes later, Nikolai Ehlers dummies one of Montreal's better defenders and cuts inside and then drives right towards the slot on a little bit of a forced turnover and just seemingly went far post. I don't know if Allen really had a great read on the angle because Ehlers was so fast. The defender that Ehlers was being marked by thought that he probably had him contained, and then Ehlers just sort of goes outside in, cuts immediately towards the slot, accelerates, and boom, he's gone. Nick's had a bit of a patchwork past couple of games, so I think this was very important for him to grab a nice little goal. I, I always see one of these opportunities here as something that Ehlers is always looking to try and create out of nothing. That he has that explosive ability every time he touches the puck just never gets tiresome. I mean, this is a kid that, you know, feels like he's a 30-goal scorer just waiting to happen. After that, Montreal definitely tried to push back, but I think the biggest issue for them was that as far as, like, getting really useful offensive zone possessions, they just didn't find many opportunities. You know, Winnipeg was definitely shutting down a lot of their cycle and forcing it out to the perimeter, which, you know, it's a thing that Montreal will use to try and create chaos down low with like some point passes or, or slap shots. But from the Habs perspective, I don't think they're going to be happy that they were out shooting Winnipeg like 15 or 16 to nine, because most of the shots just weren't dangerous. You need to get closer into Hellebuck because that's where Hellebuck is going to have issues. This dude doesn't really surrender much, right? If you want to beat Helly, you have to find the really dangerous spots on the ice where, you know, Hellebuck's incredible wingspan isn't going to be able to stop it. More than likely, that's not coming from like 15 or 20 yards out. You have to get really close down into the slot and try and dive around that area, create chaos, and hope that Winnipeg's defenders end up leaving you enough of a gap to score. The Habs just didn't really do that aside from one or two opportunities here and there. I felt like, in general, Winnipeg did enough to just kind of kill them off, but admittedly, I wasn't 100% convinced that the Jets were going to be able to hold on to this, and I, I did actually have some of my suspicions confirmed as the game continued to wear on. We'll talk about what ended up happening in just a little bit. Before we get to the fun stuff, I did want to tell you a little bit about why rockauto.com should be the only place you get your auto parts. When you need to buy auto part replacements, it's always a difficult process. Even if you know what you're looking for, maybe you don't actually know how much you should be paying. If you want to stop wasting time at auto parts stores that may not even have what you need in stock, look no further than rockauto.com. Rock Auto is a family-run business with over 20 years of experience in the automotive industry. Their easy-to-use, intuitive website allows you to sort by make, year, and model of your vehicle, and then set a price range filter, so you'll always get the parts that you need at the prices you want. Whether you're looking for a new engine control module or a floor mat replacement, rockauto.com's diverse catalog is sure to have what you need in stock. And best of all, you could save anywhere from 20, 30, even 50% off retail brick-and-mortar in-store pricing. So why shop anywhere else? There's no membership fees, and every user pays the same price no matter their level of experience. Be sure to place your order with the most trusted name in auto parts, and when you do, be sure to write locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com today. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are finishing out our thoughts on Winnipeg's game against Montreal, and like I said, it was a bit of a strange one. As the second period went on, you know, the Jets had a 3-1 lead, and you would expect that Montreal would push back. To be honest, though, at even strength, Montreal didn't really do all that much. The Habs definitely had a few rush chances and whatnot, but for the most part, I felt like the shot selection and the opportunities that they actually created at 5v5 weren't great. Now, you look at the shot clock and you might think to yourself, well, surely Montreal had other situations. And that's kind of where this period started to get a little bit haywire. 
Winnipeg took a couple of really early penalties in the period, and it was clear that the, the Jets were struggling on the PK. It felt like there wasn't a whole lot of pressure from the, the penalty killers. The Jets were giving a lot of space. Uh, Montreal had some really good goal line opportunities that Hellebuck frankly had to rob. So uh, it was very tight. You know, the Jets were in pretty dangerous waters. I was surprised that they didn't concede, and I felt like Winnipeg was very much teetering on the edge. That ended up coming to fruition, not even on the power play, but eventually Montreal found a bit of an opening because somebody like threw the puck on the right side of the wall, and it seemed to bounce off and deflect right past Connor Hellebuck, who was coming out to play it. I think he expected it to bounce and hit the back of the uh, the net or somewhere in that area, in that trapezoid, but unfortunately for Helly, the buck bounced off the wall and went past him and right in front of his own crease. Paul Byron basically had a sitter to just tap at home and scored, so, you know, Winnipeg, probably not the most disciplined situation there. The power plays kind of set them up for at least a goal against somewhere. I'm surprised, though, that it came off of such a fluky play because I highly expected Montreal to actually score just the normal way, but it felt like... Maybe the Jets were a little bit fortunate. They were also fortunate when they were transitioning from a uh, like a 4-on-4 situation to a 5v4 power play. Montreal almost scored a shorthanded goal from a really good feed from Philip Deneau to Arturi Lekkinen. Hit it off the crossbar, and once again the Jets probably wiped a few beads of sweat off their foreheads. The game continued to trot on, and Winnipeg actually created a couple of really high-danger chances on a few counters, but again, they weren't all that frequent. They were enough to sort of put Montreal in a few tight spots, uh, but nothing that I think Montreal was completely unprepared for. By the time the third period had arrived, I think the game was starting to enter some slower stages. Montreal was definitely the more aggressive team. Winnipeg was playing mostly to maintain the lead, with a few exceptions here and there. I think Winnipeg had a couple of dangerous looks on and off on some counters. Again, some really good cross-crease passing and a couple of good looks net front, but nothing too crazy. And then the Jets got a late power play and almost scored in the opening minute or so. Andrew Kopp, I think it was, just deflected it over the net on what was a very scrambly situation inside the crease. The Jets unfortunately weren't able to pad the lead and then Montreal was, you know, forced to pull the, pull the goalie and try for a tying goal somewhere with the 6-on-5 situation, which, against the Jets, entirely possible. Winnipeg does not defend 6v5 or 5v4 situations all that well. The Jets had the fourth line out there for part of that shift, and it was obvious that, you know, Nate Thompson and Trevor Lewis weren't exactly in great spots to try and kill this off. Thankfully, it didn't matter. The Jets got a bit of a fortunate break, and Andrew Kopp went streaking down the right side with somebody else to end up scoring the empty netter and make it 4-2 for the Jets. That helped to ensure the Jets got both points and walked away very happy. As far as the game is concerned, I think there were a couple of things that were good and some things that weren't so good. So let's start off with the good. Matthew Perot, brilliant performance. He was probably one of the best players on the night. He and Ehlers I thought were very good, um, but Perot was definitely the more pronounced of the two. Put him on one of the top lines and I think you're going to be having a great day. I also felt like uh, Dubois was alright. Um, Trevor Lewis was in decent positions. Kind of hard to find a lot of really top performers other than like Hellebuck and, and maybe Perot because... Generally speaking, the Jets just didn't do, like, an insane amount. As far as players that I took some issue with, I felt like Shifley was kind of invisible out there for the most part. He didn't really seem super engaged, and I wasn't all that impressed. I also felt like Morrissey and Pullman really struggled. Even though Josh had a goal, Morrissey and Pullman, defensively, kind of a wreck. There were a couple of shifts in particular where both players were just, you know, constantly turning it over, getting hemmed in, struggling to win physical battles... Basically, all the stuff we come to expect with these guys, you know, playing together, not exactly a great combo. The Jets were probably fortunate that things didn't escalate beyond that, but, 
you know, it was a little bit dicey here and there on a few shifts. So maybe if DeMello can get a first pairing billing again, that'd be ideal. I know Maurice doesn't want to do it, but I would not mind if the Jets went back to it once or twice, at least for my own personal sanity. At least the Jets won this one, and they will get a chance to win against Montreal again on Saturday. Let's hope Winnipeg takes the second game, hopefully in more dominant fashion than this game. For now, though, that will wrap up tonight's episode. Before you log off, be sure to check out Locked On Fantasy Hockey. Be a waiver wire winner with the daily fantasy hockey advice from Locked On Fantasy Hockey. Expert Scott Cullen gives you the tips, insights, and analysis for season-long Dynasty and DFS leagues. Follow the Locked On Fantasy Hockey podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your favorite shows. And as always, thanks for listening. Have a great night and go Jets go.